As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. survey was taken not too long ago in a major university. They wanted to do an analysis of why a particular sitcom a few years ago was so widely popular. The sitcom was named Seinfeld. And during its run, it was staggering in its success. And so this university did an analysis to determine why. When the research came back, it was discovered that the thing that was distinctive about Seinfeld is that it had no plot. It meandered from scenario to scenario rather mindlessly. And so this university concluded that the reason that Seinfeld was so successful is that plotless people love plotless programs that actually the people watching it were as plotless as the programming they were watching. So everybody was at home. What I'm suggesting to you today is that a lot of American folks are plotless. Help me now. They exist without getting around to living. It was like the person who said, I was dying to finish high school so I could start college. Then I was dying to finish college so I could begin my work and career. Then I was dying to get married and have a family. Then I was dying for my children to grow up and leave. Then I was dying to retire, only to discover that now I'm just dying having never gotten around to live. Many people today are suffering from a sense of purposelessness. They get up every day out of that same old bed and go to that same old bathroom and look at that same old face. Go to that same old closet, choose from those same old clothes and go to that same old table, eat that same old food cooked by that same old person. They get in that same old car and go to that same old job, work that same old work for that same old pay next to those same old people, get back in that same old car, come back down that same old road to that same old garage, come into that same old house, hear that same old noise from those same old kids. They sit down in that same old chair, turn on that same old TV, watch that same old show, go back to that same old dinner table, eat that same old dinner, cook by that same old person, go back to that same old bed, wake up the next day to carry out that same old routine, a sense of flatlessness, emptiness, knowing that there's got to be more, but finding their lives decaffeinated, where all the lead is gone, where life has become more than 
no more than the flicker of a candle, and they have no concept of it being as brilliant as the noonday sun. What's tragic today is that the age of this plotlessness is shrinking. Younger and younger are the ages of people who haven't even lived long enough to learn how miserable life can really be. And yet they've discovered a sense of emptiness. At the heart of this sense of emptiness is not having purpose. Having an education without purpose. Having a job without purpose. Having a family without purpose. So you do the stuff and you wonder why. I remember the story of, a true story of Yogi Berra, the catcher for the New York Yankees in a preseason game with Hank Aaron. And of course, the job of the catch, catcher is to, to exacerbate the, the batter and to, to kind of shake his rhythm. And so a catcher talks to the batter, big man, little stick, he can't hit, dish rag. He kind of tries to, to get him off course. And finally, Yogi Berra said to home run hitting Hank Aaron, he said, your, your insignia, the bat's insignia, is turned the wrong way. And of course, if that's the case, then you can crack the bat. He says, the writing on the bat is in the wrong location, trying to get Hank Aaron to, to look at the bat rather than look at the pitcher, but Hank Aaron didn't wince. The next pitch that came down, Hank Aaron hit it over the fence for a home run. Hank Aaron ran around first, he ran around second, he ran around third, he came home, touched home plate, silently began to walk toward the dugout, but halfway to the dugout, he stopped, he looked back at Hank Aaron, at, at uh, Yogi Berra, at home plate, and said, hey, Yogi, I didn't come here to read. You really do need to know what you're here for, because if you don't, then the voices will distract you, and you'll be listening to all the noise around you, and you'll end your life not hitting a home run. That's why I love a verse found in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 36. It simply says, And David served the purposes of God in his generation, and he fell asleep and underwent decay. Listen carefully. It says in Acts 13, 36, And David, serve the purposes of God in his generation. And then he fell asleep and he underwent decay. There are three simple things I want to share with you from that verse. First of all, David, who had a purposeful, not a purposeless life, served the purposes of God. You see, the reason why most people live plotless lives is that they're living for the wrong purpose. They're living for people or possessions or power or pleasure or position and maybe they sprinkle a little piety on it, but they do not live for the purposes of God. You see, you were not created for you. God did not have you in mind when he made you. God had him in mind when he made you. God created you to serve his purposes, and David served the purposes of God. Many of you grew up in homes where there was a TV in the kitchen. Usually the TV in the kitchen is a smaller screen TV because that TV is meant 
for you to glance at while you're doing other things. It's for a housewife to glance at as she cooks or as she washes dishes or maybe it'll be on in the background as the family dines. It's, it's there, you look at it, but it's not the focal point. No, if you want to focus, you got to go in the den because usually in the den, that's where the big screen TV is. Most of us have God in the kitchen. He's there for us to look at every now and then while we do other things. When God wants to be the big screen of your life, where the big chair is and he is the focus of your life, because as long as he's only to be glanced at while you do other things, you'll never discover your divine reason for being. God has created you for something much bigger than you could ever imagine. And God has already determined your purpose. Appliances don't determine why they exist. A refrigerator doesn't decide I'm here to refrigerate. A stove doesn't decide, decide I'm here to cook. A toaster doesn't decide I'm here to toast. A can opener doesn't decide I'm here to open cans. It was the manufacturer who decided what the refrigerator is for, the toaster is for, the stove is for. It is the maker who determines purpose. Now, I know you're saying, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer. But if you go into a discipline disconnected from the purpose of God, you'll be a plotless teacher, a plotless lawyer, a plotless politician, a plotless professor, because what you've done is you've negated the manufacturer for defining your reason for being. He served the purposes of God. I love to go to New York because... Uh, New York is a fun place to be in midtown Manhattan. And whenever I go, my wife and I, we go there, we always wind up on Fifth Avenue. The reason we wind up on Fifth Avenue is her favorite store is located on Fifth Avenue. It's called Saks Fifth Avenue. Saks Fifth Avenue is a monster of a store. It also is known for its display windows. If you've ever been there during the Christmas holidays, people just come to look at the Christmas displays in their window. Whenever I go to New York, I see the displays. In the displays are dummies, mannequins that look good. These are well-dressed dummies. These are bling-bling dummies. These are, these are good-looking dummies that have been placed on display in the store. Why did the owner of Saks put a dummy in the window? Because the owner of Saks knew there were dummies like me coming up the street on Fifth Avenue. You see, what the owner of Saks wanted to do is to attract me to the store. The dummy does not exist for the sake of the dummy. The mannequin does not exist for the sake of the mannequin. The mannequin exists for the sake of something bigger. The store. You see, what the mannequin wants to do is attract me into the store where there's so much more. On your best day, you're a good-looking dummy. As good as you are, as smart as you are, you are a creation, not a creator. And whatever success you have, God will have put you on display so that you can attract people to something so much bigger. It's not simply about how much money you make and what your position is. 
David served the purposes of God. He understood, I'm here for something so much bigger. A lawyer is not just supposed to be a lawyer. A lawyer is supposed to be God's representative in the Bar Association. So the Bar Association gets to see what God looks like when God tries a case. A doctor is not just supposed to be a doctor. He's supposed to be God's representative in the medical field. So the medical field sees what God looks like when God helps hurting people. A teacher is not just supposed to be a teacher. They're supposed to be God's representative in the field of education, so the field of education gets to see what God looks like when God teaches people the truth. You see, God put you here and has equipped you and called you and purposed you to do something bigger than you, and that is to serve the purposes of God in your generation. What people wind up doing is they take the purpose of God and make it the purpose for them. Throw a little religion on it to make it seem okay. And they leave God in the stands while they go ahead and play on the field of their own personal success. David didn't look at life that way. It says David served the purposes of God. The second thing it says in this verse is he served the purposes of God in his generation. One of the reasons so many people are worried or depressed Shucks, if I wasn't a Christian minister, I'd be a non-Christian secular psychologist because then I could charge people $250 an hour to tell them why they need to come back next week. I'd make a killing because people today are miserable. Why? Because they have no purpose. And the more money they make, the more miserable they get. That's why the prices are so high because they're finding financial success without meeting because they have no divine reason for being. In fact, one of the ways you know you are disconnected from the purposes of God is that your life is driven by depression, is driven by worry, because you're not operating in your divinely ordained reason for being. No, he served the purposes of his generation. In other words, his, his activity benefited somebody else, his generation. You can't solve the problems of the past generation. And you may not be fully responsible for all that happens in the next generation. But you're in this one. And this is the one God wants you to make a difference in. You know, bowling has become very uh, sophisticated today. It's a television sport now. They've got bowling pants. They've always had bowling shoes, but now they're fancy. Bowling shirts. Of course, they've got fancy bowling balls and fancy bowling bags. And of course, there's a bowling style. Put your three fingers in the ball and you hold the ball and then you cock the ball and you make your way down and then you spin and then you turn the wrist. You got to kick out this right leg if you're going to look right. And, 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 and uh, you can look really good. But I would like to suggest to you that no matter how good you look, how fancy your ball is, and how impeccable your style, if that sucker is rolling down the alley, you ain't done nothing. Because the test of a bowler is impact, not style. The test of a bowler is how many pins have been knocked down, not how good you look throwing it down a gutter. The test is impact. And the test of your life won't, mean, won't be what your style was, how good you looked and how much money you have in the bank, 
When it comes to God, the test of your life is what was the impact you left behind. And if there was no impact on this generation, if people's lives aren't better because you were here, you were trained at this institution, you have a God-given skill that you used for him, then you will have wasted 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years. But David served the purposes of God in his generation. Whenever you see in the Bible people being called of God, there's one thing you'll always see. They always accomplish something bigger than themselves. See, one of the ways you know you're serving the purposes of God is that it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a ghetto boy out of Baltimore, Maryland. I could barely talk coming up. I stuttered profusely. But God got a hold of my life in a special way when I was 18 years old. And then I became the first one in my family to graduate from high school, the first one to go to college. Then I went to Dallas Seminary, and then I became the first African-American to graduate with a doctor's degree. I then started a church with 10 people in my house, and then that became 8,000, and now I'm going to be meeting with the president this Wednesday. What is a ghetto boy from Baltimore doing meeting with the president of the United States? I'll tell you what, God did something bigger than I could ever do on my own because at 18 I decided to serve the purposes of God. And so now we're getting schools adopted by churches all over America because I don't want the kids growing up today to continuously be on the decline and facing the things that I face and now at an even worse level many generations face. And so I decided to serve the purposes of God, not just for me, but for a generation particularly of urban kids who desperately need another option. Wherever God calls you, it's bigger than you. He told Adam and Eve, have dominion over the earth. He told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great name. He told Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He told David, I want you to run the nation of Israel. He told a little boy who only had a lunch pail that I'm going to feed 5,000. When you ever connect with the purposes of God, you'll be amazed at what God does through you for this generation. It'll be bigger than you. The tragedy today in American education is so many of our young people are suffering from the American disease of personal peace and affluence. It's all about them. It's okay for it to be about you. It's not okay for it only to be about you. The Titanic was a tragedy in American history. 15,000, uh, uh, 1,500 people lost their lives. But there was a worse tragedy and that was that the boats were only half filled that took the ones who lived to safety. Why were they only half filled? Because the people who were saved wouldn't turn back to get the people who were drowning. They were only concerned about their personal safety. And because they were only concerned about their personal safety, they wouldn't turn back to help people screaming for help. 1,500 people didn't have to die because the boats were only half filled. But since they were only concerned about them, 1,500 people went to a chilly grave in the Atlantic. Don't you leave this world with your boat half filled. 
when God has given you so much. Because on the world stage, where you are today, it ain't normal. There are children and young people and teenagers and young adults all over this world who would love to trade places with you. Don't you leave here with your boat half filled and make it only about your safety and your security. David served the purposes of God and he impacted his generation. And finally, he fell asleep. I got some bad news for you. You're going to fall asleep. I don't care how much you jog, you're going to fall asleep. I don't care what your nutritional program is, you're going to fall asleep. You see, you're not in the world of the living on your way to the world of the dying. That's not it. No, no. You're in the world of the dying on your way to the world of the living. You're on your way to the grave. And every day you are alive, you are one step closer to it. I'm not trying to be morbid, I'm just trying to be real. Like a man who brings his girlfriend flowers, they may look pretty, but that brother just brought you death on a stem. Because while they look fancy, it's only a matter of time. And you will discover that that which looks so alive is just dying. The Bible says, teach us, Lord, to number our days. Now, we might assume everybody in here is a young person. You really don't know who the young people are because you really can't measure your age by your age. You can only measure your age by your death date. You see, if you're 25 and you're going to die at 40, you're fairly old. But since you don't know when that day is coming, we really don't know who the old folks are here today. So teach us the number of our days. But let's, let's just do the math. The average man in America dies at 74. The average woman at, in America dies at 78. That's the average lifespan. So if you want to number your days, then simply take your amount of years from your average lifespan, once you determine based on your gender, that tells you your years average that you have left. You multiply that by 365, that'll tell you that your days. What you really ought to do is cut slips of paper and make them the amount of those days that you have left based, based on that mathematical formula and every single day take one of those slips of paper and throw them away because that day is gone. In fact, what you ought to do is have two trash cans. One that says, this day I served my purpose. This day I served the purposes of God. Because every one of those days on this trash can was a wasted day. Every day over here where you serve the purposes of God, well, that's a day that has eternity written on it. Young people, life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want. You just need to know you can only spend it once. Only one life will soon be passed. 
And only what's done for Christ will last. My favorite game growing up was Monopoly. Oh, I love me some Monopoly in the ghetto. Oh, because see, when I played Monopoly, that's when I became Donald Trump. My Trumpistic tendencies rose when I played Monopoly. And when we started the game, only two things mattered, the boardwalk and Park Avenue. Because those were the two most expensive properties on the board. I only wanted to get around there to the high-rent district. Whenever I was able to get around there, I got mean then. Because I controlled it. I controlled the high property on the board. And so then I got into my real estate mode. I first had the land, then I put greenhouses on it. So now there is appreciating value. Then I traded the greenhouses for red hotels. Now the price went through the roof. If you come around me and I got those two properties, you better skip me, pass, go, and collect another $200. Because there's going to be no mercy over here. I am a barracuda when I'm playing Monopoly. There was always one depressing time in the game. That was the time when it was time to close the box. When they closed the box, the game was over. And then I was reminded none of that was real. The money wasn't real. The land wasn't real. The houses weren't real. The hotel wasn't real. It was a game. And then I had to go to the real world. Young people, one day in front of somebody's church, they're going to close the box. And then only one thing will matter. It won't be what you left behind. Then the only thing that will matter is what did you forward ahead. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.